The Bible readings from Psalm 127. It's the whole psalm. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labour in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, tolling for foods to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. 1 Corinthians 3 verses 5 to 10. If you've got the Bibles from out the front, it's on 1194. What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labour. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building upon it. But each one should be careful how he builds. Uh, do keep your Bible open there. Uh, we're going to be looking at that passage, 1 Corinthians, uh, and another passage a few pages on from 2 Corinthians. Uh, so keep it ready and open. Uh, there's an outline, hopefully now, that uh, either on your tables or in front of you. Uh, feel free to use that uh, if that's helpful for you as well. Why don't I pray for us as we look at uh, God's Word and think about this together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do speak to us. You speak to us in uh, your word, the Bible. Uh, help us to understand what you're saying tonight, uh, to be convicted, to be challenged, and to be changed by your word, through your spirit, uh, and for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Uh, if, if you missed it, uh, this is the sign for Amen, the Auslan sign for Amen. Uh, which we were using to say amen at grace, uh, at, at grace earlier before dinner. Now, uh, quick question. How do, how do we see God at work in the world? If you were asked by someone, how do you see God at work? What do you think you'd say? Is it in the miraculous or in the mundane? A quick think. Just turn to the person next to you and say one of those words. Miraculous, mundane, neither. Maybe you could say that word as well. Neither, both. Yeah, there's another one. Here we go. All right, and back to me. I'm on a horse. Uh, no, no. Um, it's easy, I think, to gravitate towards the miraculous to the, the, and overlook the kind of normal and ordinary things. I was thinking about this. I think that we kind of... It's easy to figure that, well, good God has the power to do things that are out of the ordinary, things that don't normal, normally happen, then that is his normal way of, of doing things. We could even expect it so. You know, like if God wanted to, to tell us something, he could 
send a, a disembodied hand to write on the wall, as he did in Daniel uh, to one of the kings of Babylon. Or, or maybe if we were riding a, a donkey, an ass, per se, and there was an angel that we couldn't see in the way, God could speak to us through the donkey, the story of Balaam and his ass that speaks to him. Um, has anyone had that happen to them, by the way? Um, I have heard that there's more horses in the Hawkesbury than there are people, so I was just you know, new to the area. Uh, anyone? Anyone? Yeah. Maybe one of them speaks, you know. Uh, well, we get, at our place, we get plenty of um, things drawn on around the house, but rather than disembodied hands, they're usually hands connected to cheeky little faces. But coming back to this, I think uh, we can think that God kind of mainly does things in the miraculous um, because he can do that, so kind of why wouldn't he? And I think a little bit, actually, it's a bit like uh, thinking of the world like a, a mechanical clock, uh, like this one over here, a mechanical clock. You know, I think God worked carefully at the beginning when he was making the world and putting all the cogs in place and the springs and things. And now he, he puts it on the table or on the mantelpiece and sits back at a distance and watches the world like a clock. With that picture in mind, then kind of all the normal and the mundane things in the world, the sun rising and setting, the, the, the rain and, and the, the plants growing, people eating, sleeping, working, playing, all of these things happen with God's hands off, him sitting back, maybe hands crossed even. And so we can start to think that we only see God's hand at work when something out of the ordinary happens. Like, say, you know, God parts the sea and Israel walks through on dry land. But I actually think uh, when it comes to how God relates to his world, rather less like kind of God and a, you know, a clockmaker and a mechanical clock, um, kind of replace it with a digital clock. Uh, now, you know, I'm not, really, I'm not really commenting on style kind of things here, but it's about the way the clock works. You see, um, he didn't just make the world or make the clock, um, but he's also the electricity that, that powers it, that makes it run. What happens when you take the batteries out of a digital clock like this? The screen goes blank, doesn't it? It, it ceases to function as a clock. Well, that's actually a bit like what, how God relates with the world. You take away God, you lose all power, you lose, well, everything. Everything just falls apart. Sure, God can and does and, and has done, has used the miraculous in his work in the world. But very often, he uses the mundane, the ordinary, sometimes very ordinary people even, to accomplish his purposes in the world. For all those who don't like uh, vegetables, um, it was through vegetables uh, in Babylon that, that God made Daniel and his companions uh, the healthiest of all of the bunch. Now, God uses means. God uses means. He, he, he works through mundane, ordinary means to do his work in the world. Uh, and that's particularly what we're going to see uh, this evening. We're going to focus uh, briefly with, start with briefly what God is doing in the world, uh, what means he uses to do this, and then what that means for all of us here. Uh, so come with me. Uh, 
Now, uh, I'm going to ask you a question as I asked before. Um, I'm going to ask you a question now. What do you think God is doing in the world? I said kind of before, how might you see it? Uh, well, what do you think God is doing in the world? I'll give you just 10 seconds to, to kind of think about it. It's good for the reflectors out there. You might want to even write something on the line. God is... Dot, dot, dot. What is God doing in the world? Well, there's plenty of options we could come, we could come up with. Uh, some people might say, well, nothing. Or it certainly seems that way. Um, maybe others might say, well, he's... he's doing that, that clock thing, you know, he's sustaining it every day, he's making the sun rise and fall, he's, he's bringing the rain, although we've not had a lot of rain for a little while, he's growing the plants, he's giving people energy, he's doing all of those things. And that's true in a sense, there are lots of things that God is involved with that wouldn't happen without him, but what's the big thing, what's the main game for what God is doing in the world? Well, the answer is reconciliation. Reconciliation. It's, it's bringing the world back into relationship with him. That's, it's, not the, it's not the thing that we might think of when we uh, think about those who uh, lived in Australia before the European settlers came uh, and as reconciliation continues to happen. Uh, but it's reconciliation between humanity and God. And that's exactly what Paul describes for us in one of his letters to uh, the Christians who were living in a, in a city, a Greek city called Corinth. Come with me. We were, you were in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 11.49, I think it was. Go over the page, go about 10 pages over probably to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Two, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and it's the end of chapter 5, so it's just before the big six. In your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll have a look at a few verses there, verse 19. I've got it on the screen as well. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Paul is looking back at what happened to Jesus on the cross, that, that history-defining moment we see it still in our calendar, BC, before Christ, AD, in the year of our Lord. This history-defining moment is significant for what God is doing in the world. You see, Jesus, the perfect Son of God, was sent from heaven. He came into the world to take our punishment for sin and the, and the punishment, that our sin and the punishment we deserved. He did this so that us, by trusting him, what he's done for us, throwing our lot in with him, we might be reconciled to God. And Paul spells it out a little bit more for us in a few verses on, verse 21. Look with me. God made him who had no sin, that is Jesus, to be sin for us. He, he took upon himself our sin and the punishment that that deserved, so that in him, that is, as we trust in Jesus and we're joined up with him, we might become the righteousness of God. We might be right with God once again. We might be reconciled. So what's God doing in the world? What's the big thing, the main game? God is bringing the world back into relationship with him. 
He's fixing up the heart of the problem in our world, which is not a problem out there, but the problem of the human heart in here. This is what Christians call the gospel or good news. It's not just something that God is doing, it's also a message. If you saw that at the end of verse 19 there, a message. This is what God is doing, his big picture plan. It's not just his five or or ten year kind of plan or maybe his long term, you know, 20 year strategic vision. It's his, it's simply the until Jesus returns plan. That's what now is about. Just an aside, if you are one of God's people and this is God's big plan, then how are you letting his big plan shape your life plan? I'll leave that one with you. Okay, so this is God's work in the world, bringing people back into relationship with him. But the next big question is how? How is God doing this? How does he do it? Well, God uses means. He works through others. Let's, let's look here at the rest of verse 19 and then verse 20. Verse 19, uh, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and step down to the, to the end of that sentence. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. The gospel, what God is doing in the world is both a plan and a message. And the key thing about a message, of course, is that it needs to be communicated. It's no good writing a, a message on a letter and then doing as I do, which is putting it in the, in, the letterbox, in, the, in the envelope and then leaving it in the car instead of actually putting it in the letterbox at North Richmond when I drive past it. But what's God going to use for his communication plan? This is the age of communication, the information age... What's he going to use? I was watching uh, the recent Star Wars. I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, I enjoyed uh, watching, it was episode seven, I think, when, when General, what's his name, and Kylo Ren, they're kind of standing there, that's, that's the guy with the red sword thing, um, standing there before this big head, this massive kind of head. And I went, wow, that's weird. But then I'm like, oh, okay. It's a hologram, you know, like what they used to do in episode four, five, and six. There's a hologram of this guy called the Supreme Leader. And he's talking to general, the general and Kylo Ren. Now, we don't currently have technology like that, I think, to, to kind of broadcast uh, holograms into, uh, you know, people's living rooms or something like that. But, but surely God could do that, right? Like, if we can imagine it, surely God could do it. Yeah, imagine that, like his big head, you know, maybe it's Jesus' head appears here in the, in the corner of the room and then speaking with a, dig, a big, deep voice that no one can ignore in every house, every marketplace around the world all at once. Surely that would be an effective and direct means for God to tell people about what he's doing, about what he's doing in Jesus, how he's reconciling people to himself. It'd be pretty hard to ignore a massive talking head in the corner of the room. If I was God, then maybe I'd think, what? Maybe I could do something like that to get my message out. There's plenty of less outlandish ways as well, I suppose. You You could take over the world's TV stations and broadcast God Hour each day. Uh, you know, while we're going on that line of videos, apparently people don't watch TV, uh, commercial TV anymore. 
Uh, so you can put it on YouTube or Netflix and, you know, let it go viral, like a, just have a little tumbling over cat video at the start of it and then everyone will watch it. There's plenty of ways that we might be able to come up with that God could do. But did you notice here in the passage that we looked at, verse 19, about what he has done? What he has done. Verse 19. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. God uses means. And by that, he doesn't mean the big talking head in the corner of the room. He means us, you and me. It's true that this, this word here that Paul writes, he's, it's first and foremost referring to Paul and his companions, those who were, were speaking the gospel and leading the church in Corinth, but it's not exclusive to them. In the same way that, that the word that Jesus speaks to the 11 disciples at the end of Matthew is not exclusive to them, the, the Great Commission, but to all of God's people around the world throughout time and us here now. Jesus has committed the message, this message of reconciliation to his people. And we are now his ambassadors, not like hired hands or, or postmen who, who are posting letters containing messages that they know nothing about. But we're like sons and daughters working in a family business for our Father in heaven, as though God were making his appeal through us. God uses means, and that means us. That means you and me. Come with me uh, back to that passage we started with uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, a few pages back in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll see a bit of an example there. Now, Apollos and Paul, they were, they were teachers who had spoken the gospel to Corinth. But notice uh, what he says here in verse 5. Verse 5, what is Apollos and what is Paul? The, the, the people in Corinth, uh, there's discussion and, well, more like rivalry uh, and factions going on in the church. So some people say, well, we're following Paul, you know, he's Paul the Apostle. And, and others are like, well, Apollos, well, maybe he was a better speaker than Paul, like, come on, as if you wouldn't want to follow Apollos. And then there's this tension that's going on between them. Rather, Paul says, well, wait a second, what is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as, who's involved? As the Lord assigned his task, each his task. God is working and he's working through Paul and Apollos. Paul went, Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God made it grow. Paul maybe spoke the word of God to them about Jesus the first time that they might have heard it. Uh, Apollos came along and helped them to understand maybe what they'd heard before, but helped them to really grasp it and hold on to it. But it was God who was opening their eyes, God helping them to trust. Paul goes on to say, neither, neither Paul nor Apollos are anything. But he's using hyperbole here, kind of stating something to a, to a big degree, compared to God, 
Paul and Apollos are nothing. But notice still that God does use means. He works through Paul and Apollos. God was reconciling the world to himself, is reconciling the world to himself through Jesus, and he's making his message known through ordinary means, through his people living and sharing that very message. God uses means. But what does all of this mean? Well, if you're sitting here this evening and you're, and you're not a Christian, I'm really, really glad that you've come. Uh, you, you're very welcome to join us anytime. You're not out of place. It's not a, a, a gathering only for Christians, a, a closed thing. We, we open our doors to invite others to come and join us. But maybe you've been sitting here while I've been talking and you're thinking, well, that's all very well, James, but it sounds like everything you're saying doesn't have any relevance to me. You're talking to Christians, aren't you? It's a message for Christians. And in one sense, you're right. It is a word about how God works through his people that I'm saying here, but there's something here for you too, and I don't want you to miss this this evening. You see, God wants you to know his message too this message. God wants you to, to, to know what he's done in Jesus to bring you back into relationship with him. And he's not necessarily going to write it on the sky for you. I don't, you might have seen those times. I remember at high school looking up in the playground and seeing kind of Jesus written by the sky rider in the sky. Has anyone seen that before? Yeah, a few people. Um, but he's not going to write the whole message up there for you. Or he's not He's not necessarily going to speak to you in an audible voice in a, in a quiet moment as you stand in awe of an amazing scene at the top of a cliff or something like that. God's not going to, he, hasn't, he could do that, but he hasn't promised to speak that way. He's making his, himself known to people through his message in the Bible and his people. So please, Go and ask one. Ask a Christian. Ask the person who invited you today or someone that you meet over supper. Ask them why they think what God has done in Jesus is amazing. Ask them why they think following Jesus really is worth it. If you want to hear from God, don't go searching or hold out for the miraculous. Simply ask a Christian to read the Bible with you. That's the way to hear God speaking. Please take us up on it. There's a couple of other implications I want to draw out here as well, though. Firstly, it's, it's God's work that's going on here. This is what we see from this passage here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's, it's God's work. It's a plan that God has initiated to bring people back into relationship with you. It's a, it's a, it's a plan that God's at work in. God gives the growth. It's a plan that God himself brings about in us as he turns ours and others' hearts back to him, as he opens sin-blinded eyes, as he removes the callousness from selfishly hardened hearts, that we might see just how good God is and love him as we ought. Compared with, Paul, with God, Paul and Apollos are really nothing. In fact, God didn't even need to use Paul and Apollos with the church in Corinth. He could have used Priscilla and Aquila or Timothy and Lois, or someone else. Even dreams, as I hear God is using in the Muslim world to bring people to seek Him, to seek out His Word and to, 
to find out about this one they call Issa. Bringing people back to him is God's work at its heart. And I think as, if you're someone who loves and trusts Jesus, trusts what God is doing in the world, then this ought to drive us to prayer. To drive us to call upon the one, the one God to do as he has promised. To open people's eyes, their ears and hearts to hear him. The fields are ripe for the harvest, Jesus said. Call out, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he might send out workers into his field. It's God's work and so let's, I think we need to repent of our prayerlessness in this and get praying. Thirdly, I think also though that Christians have a responsibility here. You see, we saw that God gives the growth but in the case of the Corinthians, did you notice that God doesn't do it without Paul and Apollos? Paul plants and Apollos waters but God gives the growth but but Paul still plants and Apollos still waters. You see, they, Paul and Apollos, they know this. Paul is telling us this. And because they know that God is at work, Paul doesn't say to Apollos, you know, all this stuff, is, it's God's work anyway. So it doesn't matter if we plant or not. God's going to do his work. And, and gee, it's like really, really hot out there today. So for the rest of the week, I think, I looked at the forecast. So maybe we can just kind of hold off on this whole planting thing for the next week. Uh, and God, you can just do it. It doesn't say in this passage, well, Paul sat back and crossed his arms. Apollos put his feet up and God gave the growth. No, Paul planted and Apollos watered. They know it's God's work. Paul tells us it's God's work and that gives him all the more reason to do it, to take up this responsibility, to be the ambassador, to have Jesus' words on his lips. And he even asked God to help him to do so. But more than that, it's not just that it's a responsibility, but it's, it's a joy that God opens up for us, that we might be involved in his big plan, in the main game of what God is doing in this world. And so Paul, as he talks about some of the people that he's gone to and seen them turn, he says, what is my joy and my crown? You, he says, of these people, you are my joy and my crown. It's a joy that God is inviting us into as he uses us to bring people to him. But can I ask you, do you really believe this? Do you really believe that God uses means? And that, because if you do, then that means you. God is using you in your life circumstances, in what's happened before, in what's coming, in where you're right now, to communicate His message of reconciliation in Jesus, to those that you live and work and play among? Do you really believe that when you meet that new neighbour in your street, God's plan is, to, is that you would play a part in helping them to understand more about what God is doing in the world, 
in Jesus? Do you really believe that the family that God has placed you in, he's put you there so that you might be his ambassador? That the people you go to school with or work with, the people you see at sports, basketball or soccer or swimming or whatever it is, those that you see at the shops at the same time each week, do you really believe that God is using you to make himself known there? As the article in Southern Cross says this, this month, don't wait for someone else to come and share about Jesus with someone that you know or that someone that you're in contact with. Just start talking about Jesus. Lastly, just very briefly, I think Christians we see are a team. We see it here in verse 8. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. They're working together as a team, working in the same direction. They're, in verse 9, God's co-workers, God's fellow workers, working under him with God at the head. And so as... God is reconciling the world to himself in Jesus and he's doing it now through ordinary means. That means us. Let's not let this stay a theoretical truth, something that you kind of believe in principle but it doesn't actually affect our lives. Let's pray that God would indeed use us and give us great joy as he does. Amen.